0: Episode of America's Constitution. I'm Andy Lipka here with Professor Akhil Amar. Hey, Andy. So after our uh, discussion with Gordon Wood, we're uh, ready to resume, uh, and of course, it's appropriate because we talked to him about his new book. uh, Ready to resume our discussion about books um, and the book industry and being an author and so forth and it's,
1: it's especially uh, both cool and appropriate and because as i as we discussed in the first um, episode on books um being a book author really begins with being a book reader and thinking about your favorite books and your favorite authors and what kind of um uh, author you want to be what kind of book you want to write and uh um, whenever I th- write a book, I often think about what are the seven or 10 or 15 books that that, this one wa- that I want this one to look like, this one to resemble in certain ways. And, and different books, I have, I have different models. Um, and there are very few people um, um, who have written uh, sort of more than one of my model books. Lots of people have written, you know, one of my favorite books. Gordon Wood has written several of my favorite books and um different of his books have been uh, models uh, for different of my books um so particularly appropriate maybe that that you might think of of this as a as a book sandwich um um uh you know a a three-parter um uh uh, uh, part one on on my books and then the the, the meat in the middle gordon wood at the m-e-e-t um and uh um, the, then a part two, we could even think of it as, as it were as a hero sandwich, um, of, of sorts. I think that's a nicer <laughs> term than, than a grinder or a hoagie because, um, uh, 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 uh or a submarine because actually I'm not ashamed to admit that Gordon is one of my heroes.
0: So, uh, you've mentioned also that, you know, Ed Morgan was a model for you and so forth. Um, but those were books that you read, I think, or authors that you experienced after you went to college, mm-hmm. um, was there a, an author or a book from your childhood that stayed with you when you were writing your book that you uh, that you wanted to emulate in some manner or that it inspired you?
1: Oh, way too many to mention. Uh, but uh, just given where I am right now in my um, own uh, book journey, uh, given that the words that made us uh, is the first of uh, America's constitutional conversation, 1760 to 1840, is the, the first of a projected three volume trilogy I suppose I could say well I've obviously I, I read Lord of the Rings again and again and again in high school which I did this is before um, movies came out even earlier I read a another a, a trilogy called the White Mountain Trilogy by, by John Christopher. So, um, and, uh, so um, uh, moving from a single book to a series of actually closely related books um, is something that, we, again, we haven't talked about yet. Um, we began to talk about America's of Biography. It had a sequel, really, of sorts, America's Unwritten Constitution that we haven't talked about, but, but that was kind of a two-volume, um, a set, so to speak, with different publishers for reasons we'll we'll discuss. That wasn't the initial plan, but that's how it, it ended up. But I'm hoping that um, there'll be a, ultimately a three-volume trilogy um, uh, taking the reader from 1760 to 2000, um, uh, 240 years, three volumes, each one uh, tackling an 80-year period, four score uh, years to borrow from Lincoln, from the revolution to Reagan. And I'm hoping this will be uh, uh, all published by uh, Basic Books um, under the supervision of, of Lara Heimer, to, who's been a wonderful uh, friend uh, and editor uh, f- for me. So, so I'm hoping eventually there'll be this um, uh, uh, trilogy. Uh, and, and if I end up doing the trilogy, then, of course, you'd look back and say, yeah, well, obviously, Tolkien was the inspiration, right?
0: Well, uh maybe so except of course it didn't start out as a trilogy. Um so uh four score and perhaps it'll take you seven years. So Um Okay, well, and and I think that just to remind our audience we I think we started off talking about, you know, books as a as a source of authority because we've been getting into into that when we talked about, jur- you know, law journals and so forth, but it's kind of morphed into the the experience of writing a book and the, and the, the book ecosystem, which is really, you know, quite fascinating. So last time we ended off talking about literary agents and the selection of one's literary agent. Um, so now you've, you've got your literary agent and, um, you're going to write the book. Now, do you market the book before you write it?
1: There are different ways of doing it. My editors, excuse excuse me, my literary agents suggested that, yes, we pre-sell the book, um, that I write enough to get a contract. And they were going to help me write enough. And that enough typically is um, a prospectus um, plus maybe the first chapter. A prospectus is a 25 to 20-page little package um, that I'll describe in a little bit more detail, and then maybe the, um, uh, the um, uh, uh, envisioned for the first chapter that's already been completed. So what is a prospectus? Um, it, and, and they helped me rework this. It, it gives an overview of the book. Um, it has a little bit of a discussion of who the author is and what the author's qualifications are to, um, and credentials to write this sort of book. It discusses what other books um, uh, are out there that um, are, um, the, the, uh, so to speak, the, either the, the competition or the, um, the comparison books against which um, uh, this one um, might be measured. And maybe a little bit about um, uh, not just the author's credentials, but um, um, how the author might be in a particular position to um, help sell the book, given maybe there's a compelling um, story, a biography about the author, or the author has certain contacts um, in uh, the the world that will um, help the author get media interviews or, or, or television um, attention or what have you.
0: So I think that, uh, you know, as I'm listening to you, I'm someone who has written a total of zero books, and uh, I'm looking at... You know, at at writing one or more, and so I can't help but thinking about myself. Okay, I'm going to write a prospectus, uh, because that's what you said I should do. And what am I going to say about myself? What are going to be my my qualifications and so forth? So when you hadn't, and obviously I'm in the the position of, as I said, not having written any books. So when you hadn't written a book yet. Well, what I had by the time I'm now um,
1: uh, uh, pitching it to the big boys because I now have a, a literary agent, uh, the agency, Writers' Representatives, Lynn uh, Chu and Glenn Hartley, and they took me on in part because I have at least the beginnings of what is known in the business as a track record. Um, yes, one of my books was an obscure academic book that didn't have very many sales, um, maybe three to 5,000 Constitutional Criminal Procedure First Principles, but in 1998, I had written this book, uh, published two days, one day, um, three days before my 40th birthday, September 1998, that actually um, had uh, achieved critical and commercial success. I've used that phrase a bunch of times, but that means but critical success is um, uh Experts liked it. Um, uh, book reviewers about, uh, uh, liked it. Maybe uh, even Amazon readers liked it. That's critical success. People like the book and rated it high on Goodreads or Amazon. And commercial success just means, oh, sold a lot of copies um, for its um, genre. Um, so um, by the time uh, Glenn Hartley and Lin Chu take me on um, as their client. And it's at least as much they're choosing me as my choosing them because they're very um, selective about their, their client base. They, they have a, a, a trademark and a reputation. They don't want to water it down because they've worked with certain kinds of authors and they want to work with other offer authors at that level. They worked with Don Kagan and Harold Bloom, and they're looking for the next Don Kagan and Harold Bloom. So, so they had to agree to take, me on and they're looking at me not just with this book in mind but with possible future books in mind you know they're thinking we're going to be loyal to him and we hope he'll be loyal to us it's, it's a bilateral thing people do walk away from their literary agents literary agents maybe sometimes walk away from their authors but when it works well it's a the beginning of a relationship and so they're not only just looking at this book idea that i have but they're sizing me up so to speak, is um, whether they think I've got m- maybe more books in me, whether I know about them or not. Um, um, and, um, but I already have the glimmerings, Andy, of a track record from their point of view because I've written uh, the Bill of Rights Creation and Reconstruction, um, which, although it was a Yale University Press book, was considered a trade book because Yale University Press marketed it more broadly. It was actually a, a history book of the month club selection um, uh, back in the day, um, and as I said, it it has now sold all in somewhere I think between thirty and thirty five thousand copies, maybe a little more than that.
0: Right. No, I, I understand all that. On uh, I, but I was trying to go back to your first book because that's where you know I am and where many oh. of our our audience are. So I understand that in terms of the chronology of the podcast, yes, we we did talk about your first couple of books, but we didn't talk about this notion of a prospectus. Right. Because um, so, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't do
1: a prospectus uh, for the other books basically. Cause I didn't kind of have a literary agent. I didn't go on the market. It was basically just, I'm at Yale, Yale university press is at Yale. Um, basically I just said, you know, he, here it is. And they said, I'm fine.
0: Okay. But for, you know, for myself or someone, someone that's out there, that's going to write a book uh, that has, that doesn't have easy access to, an agent and to, to a, uh, because it it sounds like you, you got an agent because you had written a book. Um, but but you can,
1: you can get an agent without having written a book. And here's one thing actually that will help you get an agent, which is, you you know, it's, it's like joining, you know, more or something or the Commonwealth club or something like that. Someone who's already in the club will recommend you. Okay. So, um, um, you are going to, Uh, And I'm going to remember why I picked these literary agents because I looked and saw what authors I uh, wanted to be like and saw who their literary agent was. Right. Okay. But it turns out that at least um, um, one of the people who had worked with that literary agency, Ed Lazarus, was a friend of mine. He recommended me to – Glenn and Lynn. And, and he could have done that even if I didn't have a track record because they have a, um, he has a relationship with, um, the agency and he's helped make them money and they've helped him make money. And, and they know that actually he has an incentive to, um, want, uh, to actually have them get other good authors because, um, uh, he might want to write another book with them, um, uh, d- d- down the road. So, so, um, and you don't need that, but, but, but a, a le- as it were, a letter of recommendation, so to speak, an email of recommendation is one way that you come to the attention of a literary agent. A- another way is just you, you already have written something, a tentative prospectus, a first chapter, and you just send it um, um, uh, over the transom, so to speak. Now, some literary agents... Um, uh, do business that way. Others say, no, you you really kind of need um, um, uh, someone to to introduce you. Uh, But my thought is the following before you send prospectuses out to publishers. Oh, best of all, if you can have a literary agent who can help you improve the prospectus, because this is what they do day in and day out. They know how to do it. They have ongoing relationships with publishers. So, Yes, um, it's a little bit of a chicken egg problem, but you really want a literary agent um, if you're looking to publish um, a book with a major publisher.
0: Yeah, and I, you know, I know people that have that have written books, and uh, you know, and and I've read some of them, and some of them are pretty good, and they had trouble, you know, selling them, and they are and getting them published so they could self-publish or whatever, but it seems to me. And and, and, Andy, hold on that You can self-publish today in a way that that wasn't true 30
1: years ago, um, 20 years ago. So there are mechanisms, you know, if this doesn't work for you, um, to self-publish, and and if you succeed, if readers connect with you, oh, now you have a track record. Now agents are going to be interested in you. Now publishing
0: houses are going to be interested in you. So there are many different pathways to this now, um, more so than there used to be. And one thing that I think that that the people that had difficulty getting them published had in common was they had they had written something which they didn't necessarily have any expertise about. In other words, they they might have read a lot on their own or something like that. But from an agent's point of view, there wasn't any reason for them to believe that this person would write a good book about something. So obviously, you know you're a law professor, you write a book about law. There's some reason to believe that it'll be a good book. i'm I might write a book about medicine. And people might say, okay, you know, that he, you know, he, he has some expertise there, but if I were to write about, you know, cars, they might not feel that way. Um, um, so, um, but if you actually were a compelling writer and you had a
1: small snippet, um, they might look at that and they say, wow, this guy can write. I'm interested. Um, tell me more. Mm-hmm. Um, and that will be especially true. I'm saying given the world we're in it, um, if, um, you there's one degree of, of Kevin Bacon, if there's a broker, if there's someone that you know who thinks well of you, who in turn, um, an agency or um, a publisher thinks well of. Um, so, so even if you didn't have a literary agent, um, I could imagine I, you know, I, I could go I could go to my publisher and say, listen, I have this friend Andy Lipka. He's actually, you know, you don't know him, but he actually worked very closely w- with me on the last book that 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 you um, are happy with. Um, he's got something. I'd love it if you would take a meeting with him, and and he has some stuff he'd like to show you, and it's it's not overwhelming. Would you at least just look at it?
0: Okay. So now you've got so so now you're up to. America's Constitutional Biography, and you've got your prospectus. So what, what does the prospectus say? It talks about the books that you've done. Your, I mean, you've talked about some of the things that go into a prospectus. Right. What, went, what went into your prospectus? What did it say um, about you? So I, I redid it because I
1: didn't know how to do it, and Glenn and Lynn explained how to do it, and I think they maybe redo it four times or something until they said, okay, it's good enough to show the outside world. And kill. You are not to show this to anyone, you know, without our permission. So they they kind of have tight control over me because they don't want stuff spilling out that's not, in their view, my best stuff. You have, um, proverbially, one chance to make a first impression. And before, um, so they don't want me introducing myself to the folks. They'll broker the introduction. Thank you. So I sent them in some stuff, and they reworked it a bunch of times. So just to repeat, um, this was I think 10 pages or so, um, um, maybe 15. Um, so five pages was actually maybe the first, um, uh, two pages of the book, the intro, Mm -hmm. um, just to give a a taste here. Here's how the book will begin the opening two pages. Um, and in the book, actually the preface is two pages before chapter one. So first two pages, you know, does the guy suck you in? Um, you know, are you,
0: are you, are you, call me Ishmael, you know, I sing Um, of arms and the man. (laughs)
1: <laughs> okay so the, the, the greatest verse like you know chapter one I am born um, okay so um, so do the first two pages draw the readers I had two sam- uh, my first two pages then I took a step back and said here's actually the book um here's um, um, a, a, a kind of a chapter um, a summary a, a book summary chapter by chapter here's what the book would look like you know a five page o- uh, uh, dis- um, o- overview synopsis, of the book that has not yet been written. Okay, then um, here's who I am. I'm a Yale professor. I do constitutional law. I've published a lot of articles that have been well received. Um, and a little, a little, and here's why I'm um, the right person to write this book because I'm a constitutional expert. Okay, um, and and now here are the other books in um, the world that. Uh, 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 are similar to mine in some way or another. And, and maybe Gordon Wood um, maybe had 10 books that were comps, they're called sometimes, comparables. Um, and, and maybe of those 10, Gordon Wood had written two or three of them. And now maybe more. He, um, but I would have said, oh, I want this book in some ways to be like Creation of the American Republic, and in some ways I want this to be like Radicalism of the American um, Revolution. Um, he hadn't yet written Empire of Liberty or something. So, and I said, oh, it's a book about a text. So in that way, it's like uh, Pauline Mayer's American Scripture or Gary Wills' Lincoln at Gettysburg or Gary Wills wrote a book about the Federalist Papers called Explaining America. Oh, it's um, a a law book, and in some ways it's there about the Constitution, like the Federalist Papers from a certain point of view. Oh, um, it's a history book, and it's, again, like um, about the founders, so it's like Gordon Wood or, or or ed morgan so uh, uh, comparable books and maybe explaining in what way yours is like theirs and and unlike theirs related to that books that are very very closely related to your topic so that a a publisher could actually research you know how those books have have sold for example um and um uh, um, and then as i said i actually also had done a full-blown chapter one um, so that's the package that got reworked again. And and, and Lynn and Glenn um, edited chapter one pretty ruthlessly several times until they said, okay, you know, it's good enough to now we um, um, send us a clean version of all of this. I think that we were in the email era by then. And we, in turn, um, will, uh, I think... Um, they, uh, we know we weren't fully in the email era then. We're going to photocopy it up, and there are going to be expenses for that. And that, that will be, you know, in addition to our commission, um, there's out of pocket expenses. Um, we will create a packet, we'll um, supplement it with our own cover letter of introduction, and we're going to send this to um, 15, or 20 publishing houses um, and particular people at each house that we've worked with in the past. Now that we've seen this, we think these are your best prospects. These are the best publishing houses for your project. And at each publishing house, we here's the person, because sometimes there are two or three acquisition editors at these houses that, that could plausibly um, be um, the, the, the editor to, to whom to make the pitch. They decided at each publishing house whom they were going to pitch the book to mm-hmm. by sending them this packet on my behalf.
0: So it's another area of expertise that, that the literary agent provides.
1: Oh, yes, because this is what they do deals daily with these uh, publishing houses and with these acquisition editors. And again, if, um, if they have a good track record, um, that, uh, the publishing house and the acquisitions editors say, oh, actually, Glenn Hartley and Lin they've sold us books by Don Kagan that have done well books by Harold Bloom that have done well, they're saying, you know, here's the next up and coming, you know, uh, young thing from Yale. And so um, we're going to actually look at it carefully because they're vouching for him there because, because mm-hmm. they have skin in the game. They, they're they're spending their time on this guy and they're not taking on someone else. So, so they're betting on him. Um, and, 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 and they kind of know what we like and we kind of know who they are and we do, we do deals all the time together. And, and that's not so different from in the um, acting world or something like that. Um, you have an agent who's trying to get you auditions.
0: So this raises the question of, of different publishers. So the, um, you know your literary agents are, are showing your perspectives to various publishers now you know on the one in on the one hand you might say well they want a publisher that will take it and they want a publisher that will pay a lot for it um but there's probably more than that isn't there
1: there is um and therein hangs a tale and we'll we'll get to that so um so a bunch of the publishers weren't interested at all. After it had a very um, happy ending, when I ended up with you know a, the, the best editor, from my point of view, at one of the best publishing houses, and from my point of view, they shared with me some of the reactions of the folks who didn't bite. So I'll tell you, I think, one in particular. Um, she, she's now um, uh, deceased. A, 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 just a uh, a legendary editor. Her name is Alice Mayhew. She was at Simon & Schuster. I think she eventually rose to be the head of Simon & Schuster. And she um, uh, worked uh, with um, many very prominent um, uh, authors, especially of, of, of important works of history, American history, that, that rose to the highest level. I think she's worked with Bob uh, Woodward, who, by the way, has, a, of course, a new book out, and maybe we can interview him or, or, or his co- um, co-author, Robert Costa, um, for an upcoming episode. That would be cool. Um, but um, so I think she's worked with um, Bob Woodward. Um, uh, I just, uh, but she had worked with um, a Doris Kearns Goodwin, t- Team of Rivals. I don't know if this is before or after my book, but these are some of the books in in, in her um Uh, To her credit, Um, Gary Wills's Lincoln at Gettysburg, which had already been written, I think, before I tried to write mine, was an Alice Mayhew book. So she'd worked with some of the best folks um, uh, around. And and she took a pass on the thing on behalf of Simon Schuster. And I think she wrote to to, uh, Glenn and Lynn saying, you know, Omar needs to learn how to write. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ouch. Okay. But, and I took that to heart. I thought, well, actually, truthfully, I think I know how to write. I actually think she's never seen a law book of a certain sort. I'm doing not just nonfiction, but analytic um, nonfiction of a certain sort, argumentative nonfiction of a certain sort that's not a very narrative. So it's not that I actually am, am not writing well. It's that she hasn't seen a book like this, and, and maybe that's outside her comfort zone, her skill set. So maybe it wasn't you know the, the right match um, for me, but I took it to heart. I thought, hmm, one day I'm going to try to write a book that that she would like, you know, whether she not not for her necessarily, but write a different kind of book. My my new book is more narrative. It's more storytelling. I think it's the kind of book that Alice Mayhew um, would have liked better. Um, She did take on um, before she passed away, I believe, um, my great friend um, and colleague, John. Witt, John Fabian wit who has appeared on our podcast and uh, before and and I'm sure will will appear again at, at, at a certain point. So um so a bunch of publishers that um Glenn and Lynn sent the package to just weren't interested. Fine. Now there's a group that uh, remained interested. Let's say they are 10 in all. Um and Glenn and Lynn decided that at the end of the day, there are different ways of proceeding, but given that there were 10 that might be interested, they were going to um, structure an auction of a certain sort with with different rounds. But before the auction began, they decided that they would bring me down to New York and structure a series of, let's say, half-hour meetings with um, each of the the 10 um, uh, acquisition editors who was possibly interested So for a couple of days I basically um, was in New York meeting with different editors and they were, you know, auditioning me so to speak, but they also uh, were understanding that that they were themselves auditioning because if they are interested in the book, they want me to pick them. Um, And it's not just about the money for reasons that uh, in, in ways that I'll explain in, 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 just a bit. So and you only typically do that once. It's when a, kind of a, a there's a new author in town, a new kid in town to, to borrow from, from from the Eagles. And truthfully, that was such a cool two day experience. And I wish I could kind of do it again. But 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 now I'm a known quantity for better and worse. Um, and so that's not going to happen now. But but um, remember. Um, Editors are looking not just for, for a book, but some of them back then, a relationship, possible multiple books, and for an author, who's the kind of person that um, we can market and that can help us market the book. So, because um, uh, it's not just selling a book, it's selling the author.
0: So uh, if you can remember back to that, uh, that period, sounds like you said it was a cool experience. Um, what kind of questions did you get asked?
1: Oh, this was it was so much fun i see because i'm a, you and i have talked about our childhood i'm a country mouse so i'm telling you you know uh, in our previous episode i'm from walnut creek california and i just get on my bike and i ride a mile to the county uh, to this um the, the contra costa account uh, walnut creek public library okay but th- that's that's a, a pretty rural suburban experience um and um uh, and, and whenever you like to get together with me, you love to get together with me in New York City because you, you love the big city. And, and I've come to absolutely love New York. Um, but this was one of the moments when I actually began to see what New York was all about. Because actually, when you think about it, New York is about several things preeminently. Broadway, entertainment. Definitely, lots of lawyers and law firms, but it's not really what I do. I'm not really in the law firm um, game. Um, advertising, definitely. So you and I are total madman addicts. You know, we, we, we love that 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 um, a take on, on 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 New York City. Um, um, but the um and um um uh, but media. It's the media capital of America of the world and, and the publishing capital of America the world. That's a, that's a big part of New York city is that the headquarters of the big publishing houses. So going from, and, and they're all kind of clustered in one little, you know, in, in, in one spot called Manhattan and you're, you know, it's just subway back and forth from, from um, random house to um, a, a penguin to Harper Collins and, and, and so on. So um. It was a really interesting glimpse of a certain New York world and Publishers Weekly is a trade publication that's not just about pre-publication reviews, but also all about the publishing industry. Who's up, who's down, who's who's being promoted to being vice president of this or CEO of that, who's jumping ship from um, Harper Collins to to Random House. And, and uh, so because um, it's a big industry in New York, um, uh, the book publishing industry.
0: And in terms of what kind of things they asked you when you were at these cool places? Um, it, part of it because you know it, yeah. my point that I'm getting at yeah. here is yeah. Yeah. you know yeah. what are they looking for and what are you looking for?
1: Yeah. So the reason I loved it so much, and I'm only now you see, because you always ask the most interesting questions and draw me drama. Okay, I'm a narcissist of a certain sort. They're asking me about me, so of course I'm going to love that. Like so, you know, because they're trying to figure out who I am and whether I am right for them. Um, and and they and and they're big publishing houses have all sorts of folks, you know, just like um, a, a great studio is going to need all sorts of different kinds of actors or something. So, so they're looking at me and thinking, do we kind of want him in our stable, you know? Um, uh, and, and so a lot of they're just saying, well, tell us about yourself, you know, um, uh, what's special about your take on things, you know, why you, um, and tell us about this book. So they're asking about the book. And they're asking about me and what's the relationship between me and and, and this book. And, and what do you know about us? And what do you want to know about um, how we operate?
0: Well, if I were a publisher and I were looking at a potential author, um, I'm thinking about what might be on my mind. So one thing that I wanted, might want to know, especially the new author is are they actually going to write the book? Are they going to, you know, are they going to do it on time? Are they going to, you know, and, and how might I be able to tell that? you know, in an interview, given that they don't have a track record. Um, um,
1: well, if you're an academic, you can say, listen, you know, I've met all these deadlines. I ha- I've met all these deadlines because I published a hundred journal articles and, and, and you have to meet the deadlines for that. And here's some op-eds I've done over the years and you have to meet deadlines for that. And I published a couple of books with Yale university press. So, you know, and, and I've got a nine to five job where I actually have to, sh- and I kind of show up. Mm -hmm. Now, different kind of author, you know, bohemian, you know, writing kind of a a novel of a certain sort they've never published before, you know, and it's a novel all about um, sex and drugs and rock and roll or something like that. You might think, well, is this person going to just, you know, actually show up or are they going to be smoking dope all the time? So, yeah, that might be an issue um, um, for a different kind of author. But, you know, for me, uh, you know, you look and say this guy, you know, he he doesn't get good grades at Yale and, and a good job at Yale unless he basically... Knows how to do the corporate thing and meet deadlines.
0: Yeah, maybe so. Although I think that even within, I, I know plenty of faculty that are prominent that have trouble me getting their books out. Um, a good friend of mine uh, took uh, he he wrote a book, wound up when I'm not going to say his name, but it wound up winning the the Pulitzer Prize. It took him twenty years to write the book. Um, well,
1: I, I, it turns out, truthfully, I didn't meet all my deadlines, and they know that authors sometimes don't meet all their deadlines, strictly speaking, but I was within acceptable
0: mm-hmm. um, tolerances of, of
1: of lateness.
0: And then another thing I think I'd be looking at is um, when it comes time to promote the book is that, you know, what kind of a persona am I, am I looking at here with this author and, yes. you know, uh, what, you know, and also even not just whether they're marketable, but also what, types of marketing so there might be one one uh author who's very telegenic you know right. or not, another one not, that's, that not, is not but is truly, well yes. spoken you know whatever yeah. um yeah. so so you know that right. so that might be right so they
1: so my, my wife tells me i have a great face for radio
0: mm-hmm. so uh, and thus just, the podcast
1: um, <laughs> so. and, and you're always telling me which is true that i have a bit of a stutter i talk. i use uh, no, no um, stutter um, Oh no, side okay, but no. uh, um, all the time, mm-hmm. and and that's not even so great, truthfully, for radio. So, oh, I have to make that up by having, I would say, very good content. Mm-hmm. And 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 my, my pitch was, first of all, I am very energetic. I'm not going to lean back. I'm going to lean forward, and I'm going to persuade you at each in each interview that I'm going to work very hard to make this book succeed. That I'm a, a eager little beaver, and that's how I've gotten where I am. And I'm going to try to persuade you that I know my stuff, um, in fact, in, um, and that what I'm writing about is hugely important in the world. And yes, I'm actually the best person to write this book on a hugely, so hugely important topic, and, and I'm the best person to write it. So that's what I'm basically trying to convince them
0: of. Mm-hmm. And what kind of stuff did, um, did you want to know about them?
1: Um, the same kinds of stuff that we've already begun to talk about. Okay, mm-hmm. what kind of book do I want to write? I look at books that I respect, authors that I respect. Okay, what books do I want to be like? Okay, what literary agent do do I pick? A literary agent who's represented the kinds of books and authors that I like: Don Kagan books, Harold Bloom books. What kind of publisher? Uh, publishing house do I want, and ultimately editor, the kind of publishing house, and editor that's actually um, published some uh, of the books that I particularly admire. So I did some of my homework before I met these folks. I um um so i, I um I'll, I'll tell you the story about Robert Loomis at, at Random House because I know that I have a meeting with Random House. Okay, so the first thing I do is I go to my shelf and I just start looking at the, at the, the imprint at the bot on the spine uh, on, on each book um, uh, to see whether it's got a random house imprint. So then I pull the random house books um, off the shelf and I actually look in the acknowledgements page and see who um, uh, worked on that book. Um, uh, and um, I find, and, and I'm particularly looking at serious nonfiction books and I pull these books off the shelf and I think, Oh, Here's a book, and it was edited by, by Robert Loomis. And, and, and here's what the author says about Loomis and the acknowledgements. Oh, here's another book. And it was edited by Robert Loomis. And Loomis himself actually, I think, has as I said four or five Pulitzer um, Prizes, um, uh, prize-winning books uh, to his credit. Um, um, so here's a book. It's written by Jonathan Harr. It's called A Civil Action. And it's a beautifully crafted narrative about a, a high profile um, a tort lawsuit for all the marbles, a, a big toxic tort litigation where this um, a underdog lawyer representing um, uh, 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 clients um, who have uh, um, really um, had uh, uh, ho- horrible medical outcomes is trying to sue some mega corporations that he claims were responsible for. Um, his clients' uh, misfortunes. It later becomes um, a movie starring think uh, John Travolta. Yep. Um, um, but I know about it because um, my mentor, Owen Fiss, who teaches civil procedure, actually had assigned the book as a really interesting case study of civil litigation. And it's called A Civil Action. Um, and it won lots of prizes. It's a, it's a beautifully written book. So, I know it's a random house book and I, maybe my literary agents told me um, he did a civil action. You might want to look at it. And I said, Oh, I know the book very well. I flipped to the acknowledgements page uh, pages. And, and, and you and I um, have talked about our spouses a lot. Our, we got our spouses and, and we got together for a, a birthday party recently, of course in New York city, which is of course where you would, you would have it. Um, it's very conventional for an author to thank the spouse and you thank the spouse either, first or last, because those are the, the two special places of, of honor. And John in, in Jonathan Tar's Civil Action, he thanks his spouse in the penultimate paragraph and reserves the final paragraph to thank Bob Loomis. And, <laughs> and I thought, oh my God, you know, either there's something weird about his marriage or Bob Loomis has got to be the greatest editor ever. And I actually mentioned this to Loomis, who actually smiled when I told him this story. <clears throat> um, and, and he talks about how, he he was a little bit late um, on the manuscript, and he turned in a manuscript twice as long, you know, as 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 the contract provided for. And Loomis um, worked with him very clo- uh, carefully to to um, uh, uh, craft um, it a, a, into the perfect size and shape. And and as I said, it went everywhere. And it was a big long book. And I'm thinking, I oh, God, this is a big long book. How long? How much longer must it have been in, in the first version? But okay, now there's a guy named Daniel Borston, and he's a serious public intellectual. He actually was the editor himself of a series in which Ed Morgan um, uh, participated a book that you and I both like called Birth of the Republic. That's actually an Ed Morgan book edited by Daniel Borston who actually has a, a nice little one-page um, uh, editor's note uh, to begin that book. So Borston wrote a series of Big books about, you know, big topics, big historical topics, the discoverers, the explorers. They were the Book of the Month Club main selection, mega bestsellers, um, but serious academic, serious intellectual nonfiction books um, and long ones. Um, Who was the um, the Random House books? Who was um, his editor? Robert Loomis. Ah, you know, I grow up watching Ken Burns' Civil War series, and I'm charmed by Shelby Foote, who's who's just got such a, a fun personality. i a, a Mississippi um, uh, um, historian. Um, frankly, you know, very, very much um, uh, a little bit uh,
0: lost causey.
1: Yes, from the Confederate point of view, to a certain point, uh, from a certain perspective, but. Fun to listen to. I read um, his, his book, uh, the uh, the um, the Stars and Their Courses, which is uh, has been described as the American Iliad. His he does military history, especially, and 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 the and and one book kind of in the middle of this whole trilogy series is just about Gettysburg, and it's this epic book. And I read it, and and he's um, a, a Bob Loomis uh, author, and so is Maya Angelou. Oh, and so are um um. Uh, not, I assume. So, our fiction writers. Um, Loomis's best friend, and um, from college, and I think he was actually the fellow's best man at, at his wedding. Is William Styron, who did "Lie Down in Darkness" and "Sophie's Choice" and all sorts of other things. So, so one of the things that especially attracted me about, uh, attracted me to Loomis was his versatility as an editor, working with a poet like Maya Angelou, with an historian like Shelby. Um, uh, foot um, with a, just a, an academic historian, a general public intellectual like uh, Daniel Borston, with a kind of a journalistic um, um, uh, writer um, like Jonathan Harr, with a novelist like Bill Styron. So I thought, wow, he's worked with lots of different kinds of authors. Um, so and, and 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 he was in his I think uh, early seventies at the time, and I thought to myself. You know, I'm not sure that I'll do every book um, with him, but uh, I bet he can teach me a lot about writing. I didn't yet know that Alice Mayhew thought I needed to learn how to write. Um, uh, My uh, uh, literary agent showed me that only after um, I had gotten a contract because they didn't want me to lose my confidence or something. Um, But I thought, I bet this guy can teach me a lot. He can take me to the next level, just like Glenn Hartley and Lynn Chu can take me to the next level about how to write a prospectus, about how to market yourself
0: now, did you have to audition for him in some manner as well, or, well, you know? Was oh it- yeah, he,
1: we, we, he, I met him in his office for half an hour and, we, and he had read the first chapter of the book and he's talking to me about the first chapter and I'm thinking, he absolutely gets what I'm trying to do and he can make me make it better. I, the reason I ended up going with him is not just that he had this amazing track record, but see, I'm doing the same thing for him um, that I'm doing when I'm picking literary agents and looking at who he has worked with and, and what kind of books and whether they're my kind of books and my kind of authors but in addition to that he had read chapter one of my book and I thought he really understood what I was trying to do and asked really good questions and made really good points about that first chapter I'm thinking he gets it he can take me to the next level um, um, I want to learn from him he's really good at what he does and I can use that. I, and, and, um, and you know, Andy, that you're, you're a great reader. And I listened to you when you actually read the book with care, because you, here's what a great editor is. A great editor isn't an expert, can't be. And in fact, if he or she is an expert, then he's not serving you well because your readers aren't going to be experts. A great editor, in effect, is the representative of the readers, your target audience actually doesn't know everything. And, and Loomis, again and again, when I finally went with him, he he, he was best, I mean, he, would, he, would, he would basically say, here's pr- the precise sentence or even word where you start to lose me. I don't understand this. Why are you saying that? And and he, he would do that again and again and again because authors know too much. They make assumptions like, of course, the reader will understand that the significance of X is Y and Z that, you know, I say, A, B and C, therefore, you know, um, X, Y, and Z. And you say, wait a minute, there's a lot between C and X. Uh, can you fill in, you know, that's just a bit for us. So, so, and that's what you do in the podcast. That's what you did um, when you uh, read my manuscripts with great care. And Loomis was already doing that with chapter one. And that's in the end, when I finally produced the manuscript, what he did with me again and again and again. Um, so, but, well, it's but amazing how many entry- things,
0: it's amazing how many things I'm qualified to do by virtue of being ignorant now.
1: <laughs> well, that, Andy, you, you would have made a brilliant editor precisely because you're a really smart and careful reader. And, and of many different kinds of books, I've seen that in the ever scholar um, uh, experience with you. There are lots of different books that you've engaged and every time you find something kind of interesting to see in it and maybe ask about it, that's what a good editor, now a good editor, the difference between you and a great editor is you're maybe a little too intense. And if it weren't me, you'd scare some people off because you just, you know, and a really great editor knows just how far they can push the author. Cause if you, if you, if you have too many, Questions and objections, the author just gets overwhelmed, and and then actually the book gets delayed, and you're and then your bosses at the, in the corporate structure aren't going to be happy because because now the book is delayed, and and the trains are supposed to run on time. So a really good editor knows kind of just how far to push an author, um um, a be, and and then when to l- ease up a little bit because you know the book has to come out, and you and and and, and the editor and the author. Um, and the publishing house all have a common interest in making sure that that book gets out on time.
0: Ah, But you don't know the 500 things that I didn't say to you about the book. Yeah, I I don't. Okay. (laughs) To to preserve
1: our friendship. (laughs) Okay. But uh, now um, you were asking about the money. They were um, the, the, My most memorable conversation was, was, was with Bob Loomis, but I had other memorable conversations with other editors at other houses. Let me talk to you, tell you about a story about another amazing editor that I, I met in, in the process, very memorable. Um, her name is uh, Victoria Wilson. She's a renowned editor at an imprint called Knopf, um, uh, which is uh, one of the, the uh, most prestigious publishing houses in, in, in the world. Again, they have lots of, of Pulitzer Prizes and, 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 and uh, Bancroft Prizes and other very distinguished pro, uh, um, uh, uh, books in um, uh, their, their history. And she's, she was very smart, um, savvy, politically interested um, in, uh, in, uh, in politics. And, and my book was in part about um, politics. Um, she may have actually um, made more money for her company, sold more books than even Bob Loomis. Bob Loomis had been at Random House for 50 years. He, he had been at, at Random House back in the days when Bennett Cerf um, was, was basically founding the organization. And and so he's legendary at Knopf. He had been an editor there as said, even back then for close to 50 years. And Victoria Wilson was legendary at Knopf. Um, and maybe having sold more books, but her her big her most famous authors um, uh, were very different from me. Her, her biggest, I think, um, author um, was Anne Rice, um, who wrote a series of um, vampire novels that that are um, mega bestsellers. And I thought to myself, um, listen, maybe in the future I might like to to, to work with her on, on on a book. She she she's a legendary editor, but she hasn't done as many books. Um, uh, that are kind of like my book um, and work with as many authors kind of like me, whereas I see myself as kind of like Daniel Borston or Shelby Foote. And then I'm, you know, doing a serious history book. And she hasn't worked on a serious history um, book before she's worked on a great novel, a series of novels that, that, that had, you know, that, that, that were, that were c- compelling. Um, and so, um, and I thought to myself, gee, um, it's possible that um. Uh, I could work with Victoria Wilson later on. This might be Bob Loomis's sort of l- l- last um, um, uh, uh, period, and and so I might not be able to work with him five years from now. And now's the time to to, to learn from from his fifty years in the business. So so why is that relevant, and how does that connect to um, the money that you were asking me about? It was a little complicated, and here's what you need to need to know about um, the publishing industry and its financial structure. Um, um random house is an imprint within the larger company uh, called random house is called little random house and the larger company has other imprints to it and it in turn is owned by a german conglomerate named Bertelsmann um, and Bertelsmann ha- owns among other things Knopf so from a certain um, pers- perspective actually Knopf and Random House are both subsidiaries of the same conglomerate, Bertelsman, which is one of the big, um, back then it maybe it was the big seven, now it's, we're down to the big five or the big four. So in the auction, it went through several rounds, at a certain point the last two bidders were um, Loomis uh, and Random House on the one side, and Wilson and Knopf on the other side, and and they were bidding against each other, and the corporate parent thought that was okay, but only up to a certain point because the corporate parent, each one is on its own bottom in certain ways, and is trying to. Um, um, uh, uh, but 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 at a certain point, the corporation doesn't want you know one of its subsidiaries just to be costing the other subsidiary uh, if they're the, if they're the last two bidders. Now, um, it was part po- uh, my my. Later, agents came to me and they said, "You know, it's possible that Knopf would go a little bit higher. We think that Random House has reached its its, its top um, bid. Do you want us to to um, go back to Knopf?" I said, "Actually, please don't, because um, if they even if they bid more, I think I'd rather work with Bob Loomis because I can learn more from him and, and 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 all the rest. And I don't want to offend Knopf. I might want to do a book with them later on. And I definitely don't want to offend Vicky." uh, Victoria Wilson, because she she was really impressive. Um, But I just, you know, so, and it would be more rude if they were actually Mm -hmm. a higher bidder. Um, and I instead went with Loomis. So right now it's the same bid, and and it's and it's less um, um, insulting to because I got to pick one, and and uh, um, so and and here's what's impressive about my literary agents. He said they get paid on a commission basis. They could have said, well, no, you can't do that. We have to go with the higher bidder, thank you, because you know we want the money in hand. They said, no, you want to go with Bob Loomis? Go with Bob Loomis. Um, and and by the way, um, the the bid is just an initial advance against royalties. Um, If your book is a hugely successful, you'll, you may make more than that. It's what you're guaranteed as an author. Um, But if your if your book actually really sells tons of copies, you may make, make more than that. And and what I said is the end of the day, I I'm I'm not out to maximize my, my initial offer, my advance. I might try the first of all, the best book. I also think that the best book will probably sell the best long-term, and I actually think at least where I am in my stage of development as an author, Bob Loomis will probably help me write a better book because he, I think, has worked more closely with authors like me And so he'll probably do better. I thought he he had the best questions and comments about chapter one. He had read it maybe the most carefully. So I think he's going to, in the end, help me write the better book. And that better book, you know, unless you tell me otherwise, I think is more likely to have long-term better sales, be more likely to be a a classic with a long tail. So let's go with Random House. And uh, God bless them. Glenn and Lynn said, it's your call. We work for you.
0: Well, and and you know, there's the question about the future. You know, you can you write this book, and if the, if you've learned how to re- be a better writer, then your subsequent books will be better, and then they'll sell better, and so right. your agents will do better
1: And I hugely respect what Anne Rice has accomplished. It's just she's mm-hmm. such a different kind of writer than I am, and that I wanted to be. Um, that I actually so, but but you're seeing how fundamentally imitative. Some of this stuff, it's just like you learn to be an ophthalmologist by studying with ophthalmologists who are training you up. So I'm looking at, well, what books do I like? What authors do I like? And therefore, um, what a literary agency actually fits kind of my niche? What publishing house fits my niche? What editor at a publishing house has done books like the, the books that I'm hoping that, that, that I'll be able to write?
0: Although, of course... It's not the same, is it? Because as a physician, you're being trained by other physicians. You're you're not being trained by other authors, really. I mean, they have they may have been authors, but now they're editors. That's um, a very nice point. And and I'm potentially competition for the people that are training me. Um, and even if you want to compare it to lawyers that are going to go to law firms, it's not quite the same because you're working for them for you know for the partners, whatever. And you so if you do if they train you up well, then you're you know, going to make them more money now. Sure. Maybe you'll eventually, but they're partners already. So it's not really a a competition. So it is a little bit different, um, you know, in that sense.
1: So it's not the same, but what, what is true is see, we're talking about authority here and citation counts and all the rest. So, um I'm saying pay attention to me because actually judges do and scholars do and 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 and, and Ivy League institutions do and those are all informational cues and and Publishers Weekly and, and 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 Kirkus and and publishing houses and um and and reviewers and Amazon readers and Goodreads but in turn I'm looking to try to figure out, well you know who are uh the best editors for someone like me mm-hmm. um who um who uh, is the best literary agency for someone like me? Who am I most like? Um and and what clubs am I really, frankly, seeking to join?
0: So now you've you've accepted the uh, the bid, as it were, and yes. uh, so now you you get a contract. Now you mentioned right. that there's uh, royalties. So without disclosing any you know kind of confidential information, you know how does this, how does this work? Uh, do you, you get an advance? um do you have to uh is the advance payment or is it a loan in other words do you have to pay it back if you don't sell enough uh books um and how how long does it take typically to pay off you know an advance in the sense that you don't get any royalties until you do how does it work
1: it's an advance against royalties um and Um, it it can be structured in different ways. A conventional way to structure it is in three or four um, uh, chunks, equal chunks. First chunk on signing. And they give you a chunk of money, um, and all they have in hand is the prospectus in Chapter 1. Maybe not even that, okay? Just uh, a a promise, um, um, uh, a prospect, and they're giving you a chunk of money. That's because many authors, unlike me, don't have... A gig to fall back on, um, my day job, and they need some money so that, you know, to, so that they can buy, you know, uh, ramen noodles while banging out the book on their typewriter, you know, and the proverbial starving artist in the garret or something. OK, so or they may have out of pocket expenses that they're going to need to incur to do research of various sorts um, um, for the book. Um, uh, they may need to travel here or there. They have photocopying costs and 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 secretarial costs, maybe and, and, and other things, research assistance that they're going to have to pay. So so that's why some authors need the the advance against royalty. So so typically you get um and, and this is all subject to negotiation, but. Um, one chunk upon signing. A second chunk upon delivery of the full manuscript and it has to be accepted by the publisher as conforming to the contract. okay, this is what you promise to deliver. A third chunk when the book actually comes out because you they ha- you have to work with them on the editing process and, and they want to make sure that you uh, um, play nice for that um, rather than just um, uh, say here's the manuscript now you do it. So you get your third chunk. Um, when the book actually comes out. Um, and sometimes you get your fourth chunk when it comes out in paperback mm-hmm. um, which would mean it, it, it's, it's sold pretty well in, in, in hardbound. So that would be a typical payout structure. I'm just going to make up numbers um, uh, just and, and I'll make and I'll use a10 um, hundred thousand dollars. That would be a pretty nice actually you know trade book but let's imagine that they're going to give you, um, $100,000, guys. That would be a very substantial book. Um, they may, in the end, let, let's say, make today um, um, $3 a copy. So they're imagining you're going to sell at least 35,000 copies for them to, to make back $100,000 um, uh, or something like, like, like that. Well, actually, I, t- I take that back. They're paying you, in effect. You, you get, as an author, about $3 a, a copy for a hardbound book or something like that. Um, and, um, um, but um, when you earn out your advance, when you basically make back your advance, that's sometimes about the same, it's not always true, but that that sometimes is about the same um, sales level at which, they um, have basically made back um, uh, their investment in you. It's, it's a very complicated accounting mechanism because so many of their costs are fixed costs mm-hmm. and not variable costs. It's, it's not the per unit book cost of producing the book, which is you know, maybe 5 or $6, um, but, but all of their costs in, in having a big editing machine and marketing machine and all the rest. So let's imagine the book sells for $30 of uh, retail, Amazon or some um, at a trade discount, maybe it sells for twenty four dollars. Only some people charge thirty. Of those twenty four dollars, let's say the author gets three dollars a copy. You know, something like you know fifteen percent, something like that. And let's say the editor, I mean the publishing house, makes let's say um, eight dollars a copy, ten dollars a copy. Um, and, but it has to pay $5 a copy just per copy to the people who are actually printing up the book. And so, you know, maybe it, 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 it's getting $10, let's say from Amazon or the retailer. Um, and it's paying five outs to the, to the people that actually the book binders and it's keeping five for itself or something like that. Um, well, um, and, and, and that has to cover Bob Loomis' salary and, you know, the salary of, of his assistants and, and, and all of the, 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 the overhead um, for, for, for that um, organization. But here's the thing. If I sell zero copies, they're still out, um, if it were a $100,000 contract, um, let's say $75,000, $25,000 um, uh, on signing. $25,000 upon acceptance of the book, and $25,000 upon publication. They may never put um, uh, issue it in paperback if it's a dud, but they're still out. A, a ton of money, even if it's a disastrous um, uh, book from a sales perspective. I just get to keep that. And here's now a big fact that our audience may not know. 80% of the books don't make, out the, make back their advance. Um, most books actually lose money for the company, but some books are such big um, winners that they cross-subsidize the others. And you might say, well, why don't they just only publish the winners then? Because they don't know which books will be winners, especially they're making bets on books sometimes years before the book comes out. And you don't know what the world is going to be interested in when the book comes out. So there was a book that Yale Press bought for nothing. It was about the Taliban. And it just turns out when that book actually finally came out, was right after 9-11 and everyone wanted to, you know, or um, uh, learn about Afghanistan or something like that. So it turned out to be a, a mega bestseller when maybe it could have been predicted when at the signing, it'll sell 5,000 copies to a few libraries and that's it, you know, because it's just a, a specialty book for um, an academical audience or something. Contrary wise, you might think, oh, um, we got this, you know, big book it's by woody allen you know everyone's gonna love to read his life story and then something happens and and uh, people don't want to read woody allen's life story because of me too or something like that so booksellers are making bets about the world long in the future and they don't know you know about how the market may change and taste may change and all the rest so the, um, um here's what they might know um um, it, it, let's imagine you're a horse breeder. You and I are interested in the crown, so um, Queen Elizabeth is into a horse breeding. If you owned every horse in the that, that 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 was in the Kentucky Derby, you might not know which horse would cross the finish line first, but you know that you're going to win the Kentucky Derby. Your horse is because you own all the horses in the field. Okay, so <clears throat> publisher, if it owns lots and lots of books, it might know that some of them are going to be winners but it might not know which ones are going to be the big winners, the books that everyone talks about. Um, And if they could predict with accuracy which are going to be the big winners, oh, they'd make a lot more money than they do. It just turns out this is a very hard business. Uh, I'm not an acquisitions editor, but it turns out, actually, there are a a lot of um, smart people making um, a a lot of bets that don't pay off.
0: How often does it happen that that they'll contract for a book? And the author writes the book and they just, they don't accept the manuscript. Um, and not because they wrote it in, you know, in Hebrew instead of in English. Or something, you know, so not, not, not because of some ridiculous violation of the contract, but just because they don't think it's any good.
1: Oh, that happened to me. Okay, so um, that's why this is an interesting story and I have never told it publicly before. And I don't think I'm saying anything, you know, um, uh, that's uh, scandalous or libelous or anything like that. So, so they gave me a very generous advance. And, um, and it turned out that the book did end up, um, that when I uh, submitted it, they, they accepted it, and they published it, and it went into paperback, and as I said, all in now, it has sold about 100,000 copies, many of them in paperback. Now you're going to get less royalties, um, and they're going to make less money on paperback because it's kind of a percentage of of the book cost. And and so if the hardbound sold for 30 bucks and the paperback sells for 15 bucks, you're going to make l- less money per per paperback. But but 100,000 copies is a lot for a serious nonfiction book that doesn't dumb it down. 650 pages. So so they're. That, that book has done very well by I think their estimates and my estimates'll I won't give you the specific numbers of the advance because that would be tacky but I will say it has earned out its advance so so I'm now getting royalties on the book for the longest time I didn't because you know I hadn't earned uh, uh, out my initial um, four stage. Um, advanced other contracts sometimes have little bonuses like you, you get extra if it makes the new york times bestseller list or if there's a, a foreign edition or the movie rights all sorts of other things okay i don't so, think you're getting um,
0: too many movie rights on uh, although who knows the words that made us you never know exactly you know ken burns where are you um, well, um david blight right biography um, of frederick uh, douglas absolutely so, so so who, who knows HBO the, one of them the maybe. crown
1: the, the crown okay, yes. okay. Um, so, um, uh, here's another thing that's in the contract. And and whom do I have to thank for all of this? Like, Vanita says, why do you pay them 15%? Uh, um, uh, per- and I say, because they make us 100%. Bob Loomis wouldn't know me from a hole in the wall, but for Glenn Hartley and Lynn thank you, Glenn and Lynn. I'm, very, I'm a loyal person, and you guys have been great to me. So, thank you. Um, now, and, and you helped me make it better. Oh, I want to say one more thing about that book, um, and then I'll tell you what, what happened with the next one. Loomis was a great editor, um, because we haven't talked about getting from chapter one to the whole book, and he says, Akil, I'll put you on a schedule, you're going to send me a chapter every month or so, you know, let's not just wait till the end, Um, and so you can be sending me chapters um, uh, uh, one at a time, and I'll um, read them, and then you'll also get a sense of kind of um, editing that I'm envisioning so that so if I give you comments on chapter two while you're working on chapter three or four then um uh, it won't all come as a surprise at the end um so um we did that over a series of months and sending him, him a chapter every two months something like that and and here's what he's doing he's not rewriting the book and, and the smart, he can't rewrite the book. He's not an expert, he's not trying to write the book, he's not an expert on this. He's not even trying to rewrite the book because that, that's my job, okay? What he's doing, once on every page on average, one to two times on average on every page, he's saying, why did you do this? You're losing me here. And when he keeps doing that again and again and again, I am internalizing um, the um, a point of view of the smart reader who's reading my book carefully, and, and and having questions like um, and, and so when he does that again and again and again, by the end of the book, there are fewer notations because I've already internalized and anticipated some of the kinds of questions that Bob Loomis would be likely um, uh, to ask me. We're beginning to be like a married couple that that anticipates each other. And um, and, and and he's a great editor. I'd say one other story um, uh, at a certain point. There was a chapter on the judiciary. He, he sends it back and he says, Akil, it really bogs down here. And he said, yeah, you're right. Um, I was hoping you wouldn't notice. And he said, well, I noticed. Um, and I said, but the book starts really well. He says, absolutely does. And I said, oh, and it's going to end brilliantly. He says, you know, I have no doubt. Um, um, but it's bogging down here. And, and he says, Akil, you have an Act Three problem. See, because he knows um, he's worked with novelists. He said, and, and that's true for lots of, of, of works. It's true in fiction uh, uh, and plays, and it's, it's true for nonfiction books. And I've worked with lots of authors. You're not the first one for whom um, uh, I've seen this problem that is bogging down. But, but he described it as an Act 3 problem because, again, he works with people like Styron, who he quite likes and vice, liked and vice versa. Vice versa. Um, he's, he's now passed away. I said, well, can you fix it? And he said, no. But you can and I can walk you through it and, and, and help you give you some tips about how to think about this. Um, and, you know, it was a little bit like a psychotherapist or something. It turned out part of the reason it's bogged down is because... This was about the judiciary. My earliest writing had been about the judiciary. It's very technical, and I was more bored with this because this was stuff that I'd been thinking about for the longest, and so I just didn't quite have as much energy because it was less fresh for me because I wasn't learning anything new in this chapter, whereas the other chapters, I was actually learning new stuff as I was researching them, so there was a little bit more energy in the thing. This one was just, I'm just revising stuff that I wrote 15 years ago in my earliest law review articles and blah, blah, blah. So And, and, and so, so he helped me with that. And so when the book came out, I thought I got just what I wanted. Bob Loomis, he really helped me write the best book I, I, I was able to write. And he never, ever once asked me to dumb anything down. Um, or I said, oh, it's too long, too many um, uh, too many notes, you know, to borrow from the Mozart play. None of that. Here's one other feature of the contract. They had the right of first refusal on my sequel but my next book, whatever it might be. And that's a standard provision in a contract, especially for an, an early author. Um, and um, uh, I... Um, then and, and, and as a practical matter, those clauses are easy to wriggle out of because um, it's only a right of first refusal on equal terms. And so if you get a better offer somewhere else, it, you're, you're not typically bound. Um, but I wanted to, you know, this was a great commercial and critical success. I wanted to do it again with random house and especially because i want the, the sequel book to be the same publisher so that they would have incentives to market them together the more copies of volume two they sold you know the more people might be interested in, in uh, if they like that one in, in reading volume one and and and, and vice versa so I, I and i'm a loyal person um, um so um I, after, uh, about a year or two after the book came out, I actually began to plot the uh, second volume. I sent in, um, uh, a 50 page single spaced, um, chapter by chapter outline of the book. Here's what each chapter will look like, you know, a sort of, um, um, I didn't, uh, and, and they said, yes, we like this. We're going to give you a second contract. It was for not as much because they said we don't. We think that this book will be able to sell as much. It's a good book, but it's a. It's a little bit more of a law professor book. We like you. You know, you're a good author for us. So we, we'll we'll keep working with you. Um, but we can't give you the same advance we gave for the first one. I said, fine. I'm not in it for the money. You know, I loved working with you. I want to stay with you. Um, so um, and um, and and here's. Um, what the book I'm going to write. And I gave them the most detailed description of what the book would be 50 pages, single spaced. Um, and then I made one change. I I was a year late in delivering, but I actually executed um, a modification of the agreement or something when it became clear that I would be um, late. And that happens with authors. Um, they said, fine, but by then, um, uh, Bob Loomis had basically left the organization because he was close to retirement and someone else had come in and there was a new president of uh, Random House and she came from a different part of Random House, was more of the, the pulp novel part of, 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 of Random House, not the, the serious nonfiction um, uh, a niche that, that Bob Loomis had, had held out. And what I actually delivered was absolutely per, uh, per the contract. Um, except it, it was a, a year late, but we had made a modification. It was better, frankly, than what I thought I was going to be able to do. And they actually didn't accept it.
0: Which book is this?
1: America's Unwritten Constitution. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and if from a strictly contractual point of view, I had delivered as promised. So I could have said, um, I'm keeping the, the first um, uh, 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 chunk, the signing bonus for book two, and I actually think you owe me for the second chunk because you have no legitimate reason for refusing to accept this book because it's it's actually exactly as promised um, with a, a year late, but we we agreed that that was a permissible modification. No,
0: I didn't do that at all because
1: okay. you want
0: to see it out there,
1: and because I want to maybe work with Random House in the future, and it's a it's a small world. So I said, I'm sorry you didn't like it. Um, I I don't insist on 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 um, my second uh, chunk. Actually, I'm going to give you back the first chunk that you gave me, Um, uh, uh, and I I don't like quarreling with people and, and I'd already paid my litter agent the 15% on all that too. So that was, you know, I was actually out of pocket when I rebated everything to them, but I want to have a reputation of being a decent person, not confident, you know, not, not, not uh, hard to work with because, Oh, it's, it's a small world as, as i begin, you're beginning to hear like, especially, and it's becoming increasingly small with, with consolidation and thank God for my um, agents and um uh, basic books because i went back to my agents and i showed them this and i said we can understand why they didn't love this it, it, it's not as you know as catchy as the other one and um uh it it, it conforms to the contract you, you did deliver what you promised but we can see why they're more nervous and the market had changed in between too um so new head of random house Bob Loomis is no longer um, uh, there to sort of um, fight for me. The the market has changed in all sorts of ways. This is a a less um, broadly accessible book that uh, I think is more uh, kind of um, uh, inside baseball for, for law professors. So I showed it to my literary agents and they said, you know, let's try to rework this a little bit. And they helped me actually rework chapter one, make it a little bit better um, we sent it, We gave it back to Random House. They okay. We, he's reworked it, and they said, "Oh, sorry, we're still not interested." And they said, "Fine, there are other fish in the ocean. How about let's pitch it to Basic Books?" And I said, "Oh my gosh, I'd love that because Basic Books is and the acquisitions editor is Lara Heimert." Whom I've known forever. She um, is one of my favorite. Um, she had worked with Yale Press um, way back when, when, when I was publishing with Yale Press. And I've always wanted to work with, and I told her actually, because Yale Press also bid on America's Constitution, um, a biography, and she was the bidder for that. And I actually told her, Lara, before I die, I really want to work with you. You're, you're, you're the future, you're the best, but Bob Loomis. You know, this may be my only chance to work with him because he's in his seventies. So let me work with him, learn from him, and and one day you and I will do something together, and I and, and it'll be good, Laura. You know, it's Laura, and and so I said, oh, I want to go back to her. Um, she was now she had moved from Yale Press to Basic Books, and she took the book. God bless. And and truthfully, that book didn't sell um, like hotcakes. And 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 this is and this is one of the reasons I'm so loyal to Laura because she has stuck with me thick and thin. We've done other books together, and I hope this one actually finally does sell a lot of copies, not just for me, but for her, because she took me on when, you know, random house from a certain point of view, kicked me to the curb. I understand why they did it. Okay. Um, um, uh, and, 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 but but she was interested not just in that book, but with me as a, as a as an author to work with going forward. And and she was my editor. Oh, and she has a different philosophy than Bob Loom. She's she's much tougher actually, um, and, and 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 has put me through the ringer in various ways, but always making the book. Way, way better. She says that I go around saying being edited by Lara is like root canal. I say, no, I didn't say root canal. I said getting your teeth cleaned, which is slightly, you know, uh, uh, painful a little bit. But when it's done, oh, it feels so much better. And all this crud has been taken out of uh, uh, um, of, of your mouth. So, no, Lara, the, my analogy was never root canal. It was getting your teeth cleaned because it feels so clean after you've gone through the book.
0: There's no such thing as a flattering dental analogy. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: and, and you and I have talked about that offline too. You, you do not love the dentist chair.
0: Correct. Um, okay. So now I think we've got your book ready to publish. Am I right? Oh, we do.
1: Still have to do the I, index. I, 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 how much how much time do we have because maybe actually we need another episode yep. when I t- tell you about book touring and
0: all yep. of that. Yeah, I think it's I think we're going to wrap this one up because the book's pretty much ready to be published and then we'll we'll talk about its uh, its afterlife.
1: Right, and we'll talk about you see now I have different books with different publishers, same literary agent but a different pub and and how does marketing one book for example affect sales for other books and, and all that stuff. How do I as a as an author, try to sell my books through. And the most important thing, and, and and I think here we'll, we'll close is I'm, I have to persuade people in the end, not so much to buy the book. Again, if you get a book on the library, I'm going to love it. Um, and, and the expense is not the purchase price. The real expense is time in your life. You're a reader and you only have so many hours in the day and, and so many days in the week. So um. I have to actually persuade you to read the book to 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 bring me into into your mind and your life, and that's what I see book tours as being, um, especially about trying to persuade you the book is actually worth your time.
0: Yeah, I don't see it as an expense, but rather a uh, you know a purchase on on my so for example, you know if if I want to, I like a long book because if I like the book, I want more of it you know i want to enjoy it for longer and so that's not- why
1: you know as uh, just for a, on a dollar basis you know in terms of just time of enjoyment books are actually pretty economical compared to you know movies or, or um, um or, or other things that they,
0: they can give you many hours of enjoyment that's true not to mention if you borrow it from the library um so i i think that uh you know, this is, this is unusual. I don't think that people get this kind of comprehensive look at the whole process anywhere else. On the other hand, it's not strictly constitutional. Last time we talked that we had this, we talked about the, the, you know, fourth, fifth, and sixth amendments, because that's what you wrote your, your first book about. Um, so I think, and then we had our episode on, on Gordon Wood. Um, so I think that our next episode will be, uh, will be, uh, on another topic and then we'll come back to this again. Um, and so that we have, uh, right. you know, a series for people, for people, people folks that like this kind of thing, and also
1: that I'll tell folks about the book tour, um, but I'm hoping that in between we may have conversations with two other co-teachers of, of mine: um, Ed Larson, a Pulitzer Prize-winning legal historian um, who's written about George Washington and about the Scopes Monkey Trial and and, and much else, and uh, my uh, co-teacher Steve Calabresi. Um, who is a preeminent scholar of comparative constitutional law, among many other things, um, and especially since uh, this series that you turned me on to, Andy, The Crown, uh, recently won a whole bunch of Emmys. It might be fun to talk about British constitutionalism versus American constitutionalism through the prism of The Crown and Steve Calabresi's expertise with comparative constitutional law and British constitutionalism. Um, and then we can eventually go back and I can tell you about book touring
0: sounds great. Thank you.